Welcome back to A King's Reign. I'm the host of this series, Andrew Schlecht. There is clearly one major difference between Michael Jordan and LeBron James. During his time in the NBA, Jordan rarely got involved in political matters. Good or bad, that wasn't something Jordan decided to insert himself into. LeBron James has chosen a completely different route, one where he's willingly put himself at the center of political campaigns. But LeBron is more than just politics. His charitable efforts are larger, ongoing, and life-changing. Joe Varden analyzes LeBron's activist ambitions. Then after the break, Bree Singleton details LeBron's incredible business success. All that coming up right now on A King's Reign. Thank you for the applause, I mean. I know you guys are excited to see her. I didn't know you guys would be excited to see me too, but uh, thank you. <laughs> it's Sunday, November 6th, 2016, two days before the polls close all across America in a contentious presidential election. Before I get started, um, I want to bring up a good friend of mine and also someone that's for Hillary as well, my good friend J.R. Smith. LeBron James is on a stage, not a basketball court, wearing not a jersey and shorts, but black pants, a denim shirt, and Nike hat. It's a rare case when LeBron is the warm-up act. So guys, you guys know why I'm here, and uh, the reason why I'm here is the number one main reason I'm here, because of Hillary and what she believes in. In the fall of 2016, there was no more popular person in Ohio than LeBron James. Just a few months prior, he led the Cleveland Cavaliers to their first ever title. It was Cleveland's first pro sports title since 1964. And for LeBron James, born in Akron, he fulfilled a long-standing promise to deliver a championship to Northeast Ohio. You could say he'd build up quite a bit of capital that summer, and in the fall, during a presidential election cycle, he spent it. I want people to understand, now I grew up in the inner city and I know the whole notion of getting out and voting. And, and I was one of those kids and I was around a community that was like, our vote doesn't matter. But it really does. It really, really does. At the time, Ohio was a critical swing state in presidential politics. A bellwether. Democrat Hillary Clinton was in a close race nationally against Republican Donald J. Trump who received his party's nomination that summer in, of all places, Cleveland. LeBron James may have been the most popular guy in the state after winning the finals, but lending his name, his presence, and his written endorsement to Hillary Clinton was still a risk. People still remember Michael Jordan declining to involve himself in politics when he was the face of the NBA, famously quipping, Republicans buy sneakers too. But that's not who LeBron is. As much as you guys would love to hear from me, I would much rather love to hear from our next president, Ms. Hillary Clinton. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> Thank you. I'm Joe Varden from The Athletic. And in this chapter of The King's Reign, we're looking at LeBron James, the activist. Thank you all so much. Great to be back in Cleveland. I am thrilled to see all of you. When I think about LeBron, someone who sees that, that people will listen to what they have to say, that they have power, and then they use that power for good. And that, and with LeBron, that's political, it's social justice. That is Dan Pfeiffer, a former senior advisor in the Obama White House, and now a co-creator and co-host of a popular left-leaning podcast, Pod Save America. We probably don't talk enough about how LeBron really in this, you know, the last 25 or so years of sports has sort of spearheaded this because that was not the norm in recent years before LeBron uh, took it on. And now certainly it has become more the norm, but what he has done is incredibly unique. LeBron and Pfeiffer crossed paths numerous times, dating to at least 2008 when James campaigned for Barack Obama's successful presidential campaign. LeBron also appeared in a 30-second video promoting Obama's signature domestic policy initiative, the Affordable Care Act, something Pfeiffer would have been directly involved in. LeBron's off-court endeavors, 
is it's all for real. It's never just the showy thing, the simple thing. It's we're not going to just write a check. We're going to build a school. It's a commitment, right? Everything he does is a commitment. And that is that is true in his activism and his social good work as well. As far as the 2016 election went, LeBron's endorsement didn't go too far. Donald Trump won Ohio easily and was elected the 45th president of the United States. Still, Pfeiffer says LeBron's public endorsement of Hillary Clinton stands in stark contrast to Michael Jordan, to whom LeBron is most often compared. I mean, it is the, you know, there is the, I, I believe it's apocryphal Michael Jordan quote about Republicans buy sneakers too, to sort of explain why Michael Jordan did not get involved in a Senate race in North Carolina when Harvey Gantt, who was the black mayor of Charlotte, was running against uh, Jesse Helms, a former segregationist. So the idea that an athlete, and LeBron is obviously, and I'm, uh, this is not to delve into the GOAT debate, but he is the the modern parallel for Jordan in terms of being the face of the league, someone who is worth billions of dollars as a brand, who got involved in, in the middle of an incredibly divisive, polarizing election, right? And it's in a... Ohio, the state where he had just won the championship, where he is from, is a state that was a 50-50 state in the previous elections, was not a 50-50 state in that election. And there are a lot of people who probably had LeBron jerseys who were just rooted for him in that championship who voted for Donald Trump, and he did it anyway. And that that was a very brave thing to do and certainly an unusual thing for an athlete to do. LeBron's activism has not been limited to electoral politics. He has been a consistent voice in the social justice movement, dating to when he and his Miami Heat teammates protested the Trayvon Martin shooting by posing for a picture in black hoodies. A show of support Friday by the Miami Heat, LeBron James tweeted a photo of himself and his teammates wearing team-logoed hoodies. The Heat organization released a statement which reads in part, quote, We support our players and join them in hoping that their images and our logo can be part of the national dialogue and can help our nation's healing. He wore a t-shirt over his jersey before a game in Brooklyn that read, I can't breathe, to protest the death of Eric Garner. Good evening from New York. I'm Chris Hayes. A remarkable scene just unfolded moments ago here in New York. Cavs star LeBron James took the court for warm-ups in this t-shirt bearing the words, I can't breathe. He created a nonprofit called More Than a Vote and hired a staff so that he and other like-minded athletes could fight for fair access to voting polls in the 2020 election. You say LeBron James, everyone knows who you're talking about. He has massive influence, and he says now is the time to make a difference, and he's hoping to do that by spearheading an effort to help people get out and vote. And under the advisement of former President Obama, LeBron succeeded in helping convince the NBA to create a social justice coalition, funded by the league's owners, to fight for the causes important to the players. But all of that activism has made LeBron a target of criticism in a way most professional athletes don't face. We're going to create a new banner. This is a jump dock alert. NBA superstar LeBron James is talking politics again. That's Laura Ingram, ultra-conservative TV personality for Fox News. On her nightly show in 2018, Ingram played a clip of a conversation broadcast over the internet between LeBron James and Kevin Durant, where the two NBA superstars discussed the unpredictability of President Trump. I feel like our team as a, as a country is not ran by a great coach. It's not even a surprise when he says something. It's not even a surprise. It's like laughable. There might be a cautionary lesson in LeBron for kids. This is what happens when you attempt to leave high school a year early to join the NBA. James had already been an enemy of the conservative right, dating to his Obama endorsements and continuing through his calls for social justice and gun control. By campaigning for Clinton, he was publicly going against Trump, another strike against him on that side of the aisle. And then after Trump became president, LeBron once tweeted that Trump was a bum because he had said he disinvited the Golden State Warriors from the White House after winning the 2017 finals when it was the Warriors who decided not to go. Waiting so far into politics made him fair game for commentators and politicians he was campaigning against. Ingram thought LeBron should just, you know, shut up and dribble. You're great players, but no one voted for you. Millions elected Trump to be their coach. 
So keep the political commentary to yourself, or as someone once said, shut up and dribble. We'll be right back. The irony, Ingram's words had the opposite impact the Fox News host was hoping for. The outcries and activism in the years since from athletes in multiple sports, not just the NBA, are the result of the galvanizing effect Ingram had on them. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly it's a great example of the Streisand effect, whereby making such a painfully ignorant statement just led more people to, to listen and great cause. But frankly, I think it had implications far beyond LeBron's message. It became making such a dumb argument against athletes speaking up on politics or social justice issues. It gave permission to a lot of other athletes to speak up, right? To be, that became the, the argument for why you should speak up is because look at the people who are telling you not to speak, right? Who want your silence. And it, it really made a difference. And I think some of the ways the NBA and a lot of NBA athletes and athletes in all sports, frankly, would have handled the sort of the reckoning around racial justice and police violence in 2020 would have been quite different if we had not had the debate about athletes speaking up. Thanks to Laura Ingram uh, a few years earlier. When it comes to the pantheon of athletes as activists, names like Jesse Owens, Jackie Robinson, Muhammad Ali, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Jim Brown come to mind. In 1930s Nazi Germany, or in segregated America in the 40s, or the tumultuous 60s, these men risked their safety, and in Ali's case, his freedom, to be at the forefront of social causes that mattered so deeply to them. LeBron isn't taking the same risk when he speaks out, but he is the bridge between them and the modern activist athlete. Because he is the one athlete, no one can do anything about him. He is more powerful than anyone else. He makes money on the court. He makes money off the court. He is the most influential athlete of all. And so he can take risks that others can't. But because he takes those risks, he opens the door for others. And I think you can't have the conversation about LeBron the activist Le LeBron in politics without going back to the the hoodie photo with the that he tweeted out with all with a bunch of with himself uh and his Miami Heat a lot of his Miami Heat teammates wearing their hoodies in support of Trayvon Martin and that was at the time that was LeBron I mean he was still the most famous most important NBA player but he was not the player he is now in terms of uh, you know, having him won all those championships at that point, everything else. But that that was a incredible thing to do, an incredible thing for a black athlete to do in this country. And that is, I think, set the stage for everything that's come after that for, for himself and for so many other athletes for because for LeBron to do it and then no one can say anything about it. You know, he can't. You know, the owner, the owner can't call him and tell him not to do it. The coach can't tell him not to do it. Frankly, Adam Silver can't call him and not to do it. Nike's not going to tell him that he's going to take their shoe away or going to, if a bunch of people protest, uh, you know, a Nike store over it, Nike's not going to walk away from him. That opened the door for all of us. I actually think that moment launched an era of, of professional athletes engaging in public advocacy in politics and social justice that really had not existed since the 60s and 70s. In the fall of 2019, LeBron failed to put on his activist hat and he was criticized for it. We all talk about this freedom of speech. Yes, we all do have freedom of speech, but at times there are ramifications for the negative that can happen when you're not thinking about others and only, you're only thinking about yourself. James was in the middle of the controversy over China, the NBA, and Daryl Morey's tweet in support of protesters in Hong Kong because the Lakers were on their way to China when Morey sent the tweet. When the Lakers got home after a week holed up in a hotel, while the controversy boiled over in China, LeBron was asked about the tweet, and he was critical of Maury for not understanding the business considerations impacted by the tweet, and James was ripped from all sides for what he said. I don't want to get into a, a, word, a, a word or sentence uh, feud with Daryl, um, with Daryl uh, Maury, but I believe he wasn't educated on, on, on the situation at hand, and, um, and he spoke, and uh, so many people uh, could have been harmed, um, not only financially, but physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, so just be careful what we, what we tweet and we say and what we do, even though, yes, we do have freedom of speech, but there can be um, a lot of negative that comes with that too. It is a smudge on LeBron's otherwise considerable resume as an activist. The summer after the decision 
was Barack Obama's 50th birthday. And he invited a bunch of NBA players uh, as part of his birthday celebration. So one of his uh, some of his friends and staff invited a bunch of NBA players to come play basketball with LeBron. And so Dwayne Wade was there. Chris Paul was there. LeBron was there. Um, you know, Derek Rose and Joakim Noah, a bunch of bulls, some retired players like Alonzo Mourning to play this pickup game with Obama and his friends. Uh, and when we were I was talking to Obama about it um, the right after that party and right after the whole thing and he said to me something about LeBron, which is that it's always stuck in my mind, which he said, LeBron is one of the most amazing American success. Cause this is a period of time. It's hard to remember now, but everyone was so mad at LeBron for the decision and how he did it at Cleveland. And it was huge controversy. And he said, LeBron is one of America's great success stories, right? That he had, no one has ever had more expectations put on them and to have done it. In the way he did to do it right, to be a winner, to never get in trouble, to like just handle his business under the glare of that spotlight as a professional athlete was truly, he, he well, made the point, it's not talked about enough, right? I think we have come to talk about it more later in life, but at the time, like what he did was truly unprecedented. No one had ever been in that situation. No one ever handled it better. Frankly, in my mind, whatever LeBron wants to do when he leaves basketball, great like you you have earned that go do it i'm sure he's probably going to own a team somewhere but i you know i hope he and i can't imagine him doing anything else other than continue to find ways to use his voice and his platform to advocate for things he cares about that could be in directly in politics like with organizations like the one he started that organization the lebron james family foundation sounds like a charity and it is but what he has done through his family foundation, create a public school in Akron for children at risk of not graduating, is his crowning achievement, on or off the court. You meet these families that we have the privilege of working with. I mean, our lives are all intertwined now. <laughs> it's gotten so deep. Michelle Campbell is executive director for the foundation. If LeBron is at the center of the charitable group's lofty accomplishments, then it is Campbell whose hands are on the steering wheel. So we had this bike-a-thon in Akron that brought kids in the community together for a really great day, riding through the streets of Akron, having a fun day, going home with a bike. They did a few other events back then, like a turkey giveaway and what we call now uh, one-and-done events. LeBron's charity started out like so many athlete charities, with nice ideas like giving away bikes or food for the holidays. The LeBron James Family Foundation was no different until the summer of 2011 at one of the lowest moments of his playing career. Does it bother you that so many people are happy to see you fail? Absolutely not. Because at the end of the day, um, all the people that was rooting on me to fail, um, you know, at the end of the day, they got to wake up tomorrow, have the same life that they had um, before they woke up today. LeBron was vilified across the United States following the decision the lusty booze and vitriol LeBron faced in every arena weighed on him. This was also the first time he lived away from Northeast Ohio. But after a year of enduring all of this criticism, a year that ended in a finals loss to the Dallas Mavericks in which he personally played poorly, he said something he shouldn't have. The world is a little better because of it. He went away for two weeks after that and was like, okay, this was like a big life-changing year for me. First time I left home, first time I was away from Savannah, my mom did the decision, all the rollout there was the chosen one. Everyone loved him. All of a sudden everyone hated him. I mean, just like a lot of life changes happened that year. So that's when he came back and we sat down and we talked deeply about no matter what happens in his life from a business perspective, no matter where he plays basketball, no matter what businesses he starts, there's you know one thing that'll stay constant in his life and that he's from Akron and this will always be home. No matter where he lives, this will be home. It was at that moment, I believe that, you know, it was all like when he was ready to do that, like we're ready to go, but could never be where we are now. Fast forward 11 years, never be where we are today as a foundation without that moment from him, without that like 
this is what we need to do. I'm all in because we had those conversations. All right, if we're going to dig deeper other than one and done's, this becomes forever. <laughs> this isn't like a one and done you can do one time. Oh, it didn't work. Okay, well, now we're going to do this. That's not what this is. Like if we're talking about really digging in deep, this is a forever commitment. And is that what you want to do? It's your foundation. Like, absolutely. And then boom. So it was at that moment that we didn't know it then, but the I Promise movement was born. The bikeathon was out. So were the turkey giveaways. But LeBron was a long, long way from opening the I Promise school. Campbell and her staff, under LeBron's direction, spent the next year identifying how they could reshape the foundation's mission. We started to like talk and really listen to that first group of families that joined the program and really like develop relationships and build up trust and build up like we're here forever. So let's talk about this thing called life together and how can we make a better life for all of us here in Akron and what, and to do that, we had to, you know, really build relationships and, and, and that I go back to that trust being the most important thing um, and started to listen. They looked at the low graduation rate in Akron public schools a common struggle for public schools in big cities. They realized that children who ultimately couldn't graduate from high school faced the same challenge at an early age. They couldn't read at their appropriate grade level. When we started to talk with Akron Public Schools and understand how do we identify students like LeBron, going back to when he was in fourth grade and he, he missed 82 days of school. Like, you can't learn if you're not in school. It came to that, Akron Public Schools has testing at the end of second grade that helps identify a lot of things. And one of the things, a lot of common denominators in that is those students that were behind, like he was at that time. Reading was like a key factor in reading below grade level. There isn't a teacher or a school administrator in the United States who doesn't know that reading struggles directly correlate to low graduation rates. What America's public schools don't have are the resources to address the root cause of many of these problems, cyclical poverty. The question facing LeBron was, what could he do to help? You know, reflecting on his life, the reason he, you know, was where he, you know, in the NBA, playing NBA basketball, being able to support his family, he attributed a lot of that to the people that wrapped around him he and Gloria when they had their, you know, challenging times when he was growing up. So that's when he was like, we really need to look at, we don't need to do one and done's anymore. We need to help kids just like me, because if it wasn't for this community that helped me, I wouldn't be where I am today. His foundation transformed itself into a mentoring program. Beginning in the third grade, any child in an Akron public school who was considered at risk due to a low test score was eligible. If they enrolled, they attended after-school tutoring sessions. They had access to healthy snacks. They had adult supervision, time for sports, and to be with friends until parents came home from work. They also had LeBron. The NBA superstar would check in on the children personally with letters or robocalls to homes, encouraging them to do their homework and go to school. The children received clothing from Nike, computers and tablets from Samsung and Apple, their parents as incentive to keep the children enrolled, and also, just for the sake of help, could get rent checks, cash for groceries, or luxury items like TVs and computers through LeBron. You take on a lot of responsibility when you do this work and when someone is willing to share like kind of what their barriers are and some like really open up to you. It's like you want to deliver at all costs. And it, it, there's probably nine out of 10 times when we're sitting and talking and understanding what's going on. We have no idea how we're gonna solve that issue. <laughs> but what we what we commit is that we're gonna try, we're gonna, you know, unturn every stone to do it. Um, and we might get it right the first time or we might get it right the 20th time, but we'll never give up till we get it right. In two years, LeBron was seeing results. By the fall of 2014, children with two years in LeBron's program saw their reading test scores improve by 36%. So to see that those test scores were making, you know, we were making a difference, it's like 
wow, we, we, we did what we said we would do. Now, we didn't know how we were going to get there or when we were going to get there. Um, but that relief of like, wow, they, they rolled the dice with us and we're really doing something special, but they're putting just as much into it. By the fall of 2014, there were 800 children in LeBron's program. The number grew to 1,000 and then 1,300. Over the years, the LeBron Family Foundation opened a mentoring program for adults to get their GEDs. And then, the much-heralded college scholarship program LeBron's foundation negotiated with the University of Akron and Kent State University, both in Northeast Ohio. In it, any child enrolled in LeBron's mentoring program who stayed in Akron Public Schools and graduated high school could attend one of these two colleges for free. What many people didn't realize about the scholarships, LeBron wasn't paying for them. The colleges were. He did something more sustainable. It's easy to write a check. But once that check is gone, is there a second check coming? He's only one person. What he did instead was allow the University of Akron and Kent State to understand what this work was. They understand it. They buy in. They get it. That's the genius of LeBron's philanthropy. He leverages his considerable fame for buy-in from the children and their parents. And then he uses his enormous business arrangements with giants like Nike and Apple and Chase Bank to convince them to contribute money and resources. So they allocate, they understand how important it is and how maybe they had some barriers up that some of our students would have never seen themselves on college. They didn't mean to have that barrier up, but then when they see that, they've changed the way they admit They've changed the way their dollars support. So he's done something it's so much bigger than writing a check, taking the time to get other people to look at things differently. And now that scholarship continues way beyond a check writing, right? Because not only is he changing things for his I Promise kids, but looking at how some of their admissions they has changed things for their whole campus. It was out of all this that the I Promise School was born. Named after the I Promise Pledge all children in LeBron's program recites, the school opened in July of 2018. It's a public school, paid for by tax dollars from Akron residents in the state of Ohio, with the foundation and LeBron's business partners, like Chase Bank, picking up the ancillary costs to cover the things that makes the school unique. It's a trauma-infused curriculum, so we do things a little bit different when we deliver the curriculum to reach students where they are, especially students that at any point in time, we're all living in trauma. You were living in trauma when your dad passed. Like, how do we take those things into consideration so you continue to learn, but also deal with whatever's happening outside of the school? Our lane, the foundation's lane, is the We Are Family approach. So it's infusing the whole family into that and understanding where that family unit is. School's the hub of that, but where is your heat turned on? Do you have your high school diploma? Are you in a job, a career that you love? Like, what's happening in your life that we can help you so then our students, so your family can be healthy and so our students can be healthy and learn? The I Promise School has a food pantry. Students get vision and dental screenings. If they need glasses, they get them through the foundation. If mom or dad needs help securing child support or unemployment benefits or job training, they can get it there. So we build everything in that we hear that Gloria is a mom back. Would have been helpful if we build everything in there so it's a lot easier on our families to access the support. But I will go to my grave saying the most important part of that is you have people there delivering those services that believe in the We Are Family philosophy and believe in this work that we're doing and believe in living beyond themselves. Um, that's key. You've got someone having a rough go and you, they don't get you know, you don't respond appropriately, you lose them forever. The special access to teaching, the help for parents getting what they need to live, are only part of the equation. Poverty and the nasty, sometimes dangerous effects of it simply doesn't go away. Children sometimes come to school from a broken home with unspeakable emotional trauma weighing on them, and they need a hug. 
We get our breakfast. We go to our room. We eat breakfast as a family, a classroom as a family. We, we start our day with I Promise Circles. And really, I Promise Circles are the heartbeat of that school. It's the heartbeat of the, the specialty school. One, they're a way to develop relationships within that family, trust amongst your teachers, your peers. Um, but think about how important family meals are. Like, that's where you talk. You're running, running, you're doing you know, things as a family, people have practice, people have this, but the one place that, you know, you can talk is where you sit around, everyone has to eat. So you sit around that dinner table. So I promise circle becomes that for our school. We come together, we eat, we listen to a song and we just listen. And we have prompts from our teachers that help allow us to come together um, as a, as a family and get like, maybe readings hard. I start to talk with the prompts that our teachers have every day, we start to become a closer unit. Um, and when you're struggling, whether it be with reading or something at home or life, the more people that you have around you to support you, the easier it is to get through those struggles. Very simple, it's coming back to the basics. Instead of just jumping into, all right, everyone, get out your books, let's start reading, let's start. No, let's, let's develop this, let's develop this family so we can get through this thing called life together. The I Promise School survived the pandemic, a scary time for Campbell, her staff, and the school's teachers and administrators who were cut off from children who didn't have the same access to the internet and online learning that children in most communities had. In masks and gloves, the I Promise staff hand-delivered meals and learning materials to families until it was deemed safe for the children to return to school. LeBron wanted to add one grade a year until his school reached the eighth grade. And next school year, in the fall, grades three through eight will attend, I promise. The school is under some scrutiny from the local Akron School Board and the state of Ohio because its oldest students have not scored well on state math proficiency tests recently. Over the last three years, the I Promise School's initial class from 2018 has not had a single student test proficient in math. The school was placed on a state academic watch list, and some Akron school board members asked questions probing why the scores aren't better. It is important to note that the LeBron School specifically targets students who are two grades below reading level. Ironically, reading scores that I promise are better than similar students at other Akron schools, and those reading scores at I promise have improved over the last two years. What is happening at I Promise relating to the math test scores is happening across the country, a trend many experts say is due to time lost in the classroom due to the COVID shutdowns. For many of the I Promise students, the year away from in-person learning was devastating to their progress, as many did not have access to online learning, either because they didn't have access to internet or to a computer. I spoke with Campbell months before the school board meeting where these questions were raised, and she said the work being done at I Promise is forever work. It's forever. Like when you make this commitment, I like, and that's what we talked about. Like we can't just walk away like a bike. Oh, we're not going to do the bikeathon this year. Uh, we're not going to have. We're not going to take a class of students this year. You can't do that. So yeah, I would say it's forever work. The world's always going to have issues to deal with, right? We're just a microcosm of that here in Akron. But um, I feel like what we're building, and it'll continue it'll be long past my lifetime, but what we're building is, is how to operate a community differently yeah. and how to think differently and how to be thoughtful and strategic and meet people where they are, which, again, sounds so basic, but somehow some things have got lost in our world. Today, the LeBron Foundation has opened a village of housing for families in their program. It has created a revolutionary job training program in an old cabaret nightclub, refurbished so adults can learn the ins and outs of the food and hospitality industries while earning a paycheck. The first tenant in the building is Starbucks, and the employees get paid while earning job training certificates through LeBron's program. A medical clinic for the LeBron families will be open soon across the street from Starbucks. For LeBron, his charity is his true activism. The real, the reach that that man has. He's one man, like no matter what, he's one man. But because of who he is, people listen and because of the way he played basketball, let's face it, 
it, it's because he's one of the greatest to play basketball. But this work, he's used that to bring others on board to change things for a lifetime. That's what's so incredible about him. He's created something that's lives going to live long beyond him or that's going to take more money than he's ever going to make in a lifetime because you're redeveloping a community. And that's the real specialness of this. Because if you build something that just is on your name, what happens if something you don't play basketball tomorrow like you did. What happens? And we just said this has to go on forever. So he's been able to be so mature in his, you know, philanthropic work that he's getting others to buy in and building something. It's so much bigger than him. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City, with David, a sculptor, and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I wanna tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash MBA show 23 and get started. Welcome back to A King's Reign. I'm Bree Singleton. As discussed on last week's episode, LeBron is so much more than just a basketball player. An astute businessman, James has managed to become a billionaire while still playing in the NBA. From pizza and tequila to movies, sports teams, and a school, LeBron has expanded his sphere of influence far beyond the basketball court. His meteoric rise over the past two decades should be studied, and it has. To get more context around LeBron's off-court endeavors, I spoke to Dr. Todd Boyd, also known as the Notorious PhD. Dr. Boyd is the chair for the study of race and popular culture and a professor of cinema and media studies at the University of Southern California. He's seen and studied all 20 years of the King's reign and offered me some perspective on how LeBron has carefully approached politics and activism on his way to billionaire status. LeBron came into the uh, NBA in 2003. And um, of course, before 2003, people were uh, already talking about him when he was still in high school. When I think of LeBron, I mean, you know, as somebody who's been looking at the longer histories, interesting uh, how the NBA has grown and then uh, the sort of point where the NBA was at when LeBron came into the league. And here it is now, you know, 20 plus years later, and he's not the high school phenom. Um, he's an elder statesman. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. But also, I guess, a commentary on my age. Like, you know, I've seen the beginning and a <laughs> complete career for a lot of people at this point. No, that's great. That's great. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing uh, at, at your. You said you're telling your age. That's what makes you perfect for this. Uh, this episode, you got the whole scope, so you can uh, you can tell the the whole truth. Where do you see LeBron as far as his off the court influence? Um, where do you 
what was his blueprint? Was there a blueprint? Where has he taken it since he's uh, kind of started, like you said, at 15 years old? You know, well, when you talk about off the court, I mean, I think this is where LeBron really excels because we can talk about great basketball players. But I think what is distinct about LeBron's career is that he's actually in a small group of athletes beyond basketball, you know, who we would consider truly elite. To me, the only other basketball player who exists in this category would be Jordan. Um, and I, you know, I named some great players, but when you talk about American athletes, you know, going back to the great Jack Johnson to me, which is where it starts, but Jackie Robinson, Joe Lewis, Jesse Owens, of course, the GOAT, Muhammad Ali, you know, and you start to thin out that list, Ali, Jordan, LeBron, as I say, Jackie Robb, Jack Johnson, Jesse Owens, Joe Lewis, perhaps, Ali. I mean, it's a small list. And a lot of that is about, you know, what you did as an athlete, but it's also about your legacy. That's why, to me, Ali is in a class by itself. So everybody else, you kind of have to line up after Ali. And then there's a short line. So, you know, no diss. But I don't know that there's ever going to be an athlete, again, as significant as Muhammad Ali you know, who excelled as a boxer, but also who decided to take on the U.S. government, um, you know, and he won, um, you know, he was proven correct. So that's a unique legacy. Uh, when you talk about Jordan's legacy, you know, it was his ability as a basketball player coupled with the immense popularity he had uh, endorsing products as a, you know, pitch man and terms of advertising, just sort of the global legacy, you know, I mean, it, it's maybe business uh, and it's cultural. In the case of Ali, it was cultural and it was political. Um, I think when you get to LeBron, you know, there's a business component to it for sure. Uh, there's a cultural component to it uh, for sure also. And he's even kind of had his hand in some political issues, maybe not in the same way as Ali, but offering his support to say certain candidates. And, you know, I still laugh at that tweet LeBron sent out where he called Trump a bum, which, you know, I just was looking at something a couple of days ago. And I think they said that was the most tweeted, most retweeted tweet by an athlete from that particular year and maybe beyond that. So look at our stats. <laughs> when, you, when you talk about culture and when you talk about business and you talk about basketball, you know, LeBron's right there. And he's doing it maybe in a bit different way than Mike. You know, when you think about Mike and I want to be like Mike and Gatorade and Nike and McDonald's. And I mean, you know, Haynes, you know, I mean, a long list. Um, LeBron has done it. And he's had commercials, obviously, but um, he's done it. You know, his company's producing all sorts of film, television programs an agency, a school. I mean, it's, 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 it's a different generation, different era. And so kind of interesting to think about his legacy, but he's touched so many different areas of society uh, far beyond just being a great basketball player. No, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, those uh, comparisons as far as legacy and what they're doing off uh, the court or field. And I think it's interesting. I want to touch on that a little bit more um, because, you know, just as a, wa a watcher of basketball, you know, during the pandemic, you know, a lot of people uh, felt like LeBron had opportunities to, you know, make certain statements or do certain things, not in an Ali-esque way, but they felt like he was a very powerful um, individual. Um, and since, you know, bubble basketball was going on, a lot of people felt like he had a lot of uh, influence. Um, can you speak to what those moments um, and his responses to those moments did and what you think they will do for his legacy? Well, you know, when they were, there was that moment in the bubble when, you know, people were uh, talking about maybe canceling uh, the rest of the season that the NBA had just kind of, you know, put back together in that bubble scenario. And, um, you know, it's my understanding that there were quite a few people who were basically saying like, like this is, this is not as important as what's going on politically and we need to end this so we can go and, you know, be active in terms of political uh, context. And LeBron at some point, um, you know, LeBron and 
Chris Paul, uh, who was head of the uh, Players Union, uh, talked to uh, Barack Obama. You know, it was Obama who kind of advised them on what they should think about relative to the next steps they would take. So, you know, I mean, Barack Obama's not just anybody. Uh, it's not like calling up your boy from down the street. You know, this is president of the United States, former president at that point. But, you know, you got an athlete who basically you can get the former president on the phone. and That's who you consult with uh, when you're making a decision about, you know, how you're going to proceed. That's telling. I mean, you know, how many people can actually get, uh, you know, former president on the phone uh, for something like this? Uh, not very many. Um, so, you know, I think that speaks to uh, his reach, his influence, his status. Um, I was uh, writing something recently and I mentioned when Obama was when Obama was introduced to the American public back in 2004, his speech at the uh, Democratic Convention and uh, supposedly, uh, you know, early that day, this guy was a state senator in Illinois at the time. He, nobody really knew who he was, you know, outside of a very small group of people. He wasn't even a national politician. He was a state politician when he gave a speech. And, um, you know, someone, I guess, said, you know, are you nervous, whatever. And his response was, I got this, you know, I'm, I'm like LeBron. And so uh, that speech, you know, introduced Barack Obama to America. And four years later, he was the president. So you have a politician like this who, you know, we haven't really seen a, a political star in recent times, maybe ever, like Barack Obama, who went from, you know, state senator giving a spot to speak at the convention. And four years later, he's the president and, of course, the only black president. So for this guy to say, you know, he didn't compare himself to another politician. He compared himself to LeBron. Um, and at the time, LeBron was a youngster. You know, this is uh, 2004. It's early, early, early in his NBA career. Uh, he just finished his rookie season. So, you know, if you have somebody in that position who becomes president of the United States saying, I'm LeBron, I mean, he could have said, I'm Jordan. He could have said, you know, um, I'm Kobe, I'm Shaq, whatever. He said LeBron. So I think those sorts of things uh, tell us a lot about LeBron's impact and his influence and the kind of role he has played uh, in terms of the culture and in this case, in terms of politics. Is there anything in particular that stood out about how the media has covered LeBron throughout his career as opposed to other um, legends and those in that elite group that you talked about? Well, again, you know, all of this is, is historic. So is historical, I should say. So in each of these junctures, you have to look at, like, who's in the media, who's calling the shots, who's asking the questions. You know, you see this over a long period of time. The NBA looked very different in the 70s than it looks now, looked very different in the 80s even than it looks now. You know, so I think what you have to look at is the time period. LeBron's been around for the last 20-plus years. You know, this has coincided with uh, – the rise of, say, social media, which is fairly new phenomena. Um, you know, Jordan uh, Jordan didn't have to contend with social media. Magic and Bird didn't have to contend with social media. Um, you know, Kareem didn't have to contend with social media when he played. I mean, it'd be interesting, you know, it'd be interesting to see how that might have played out. You know, Kobe played the first half of his career. And there was no social media, maybe starting in the second half, uh, Somewhere thereabouts, you know, it became a thing. But really, I think when you think about LeBron, it's, it's, you know, a guy who was in the spotlight before he got to the NBA as a high school athlete and all the expectations placed upon him. And I think not only has he lived up to all those expectations, he's exceeded them. You know, I mean, it's a different day back, back in the 70s and 80s and 90s. You know, guys went to college, even, you know, Magic went to Michigan State for two years. Jordan went to Carolina for three years. You sort of built your legacy up that way. You know, Magic won a title with Michigan State. Uh, Jordan hit, you know, game-winning shot, won a title with Carolina. And you had a few years where you would kind of get to know these players in college and then see what they did once they got to the NBA. But, you know, starting in 95 with Kevin Garnett, Kobe, and Tracy McGrady, uh, that generation of players, 
you finally get to LeBron no three, and it's like they're going straight from the from high school to the NBA. And so it was a different era. Media relates to them different. Media people in the media are different. You know, I mean, you know, I laugh because so many people now just weren't around in the eighties, for instance. And they didn't know how white the media, sports media was. And there was not a lot of, you know, sort of other points of view, uh, black points of view, points of view that might identify with these players as, as black men, you know, from perspective that was not just, you know, some, you know, white male perspective. There's a broader range of perspectives now, um, broader sense of understanding. And so maybe in that you have room for someone to come along and say something about LeBron that's insightful and interesting that people would have missed, you know, 30, 40 years ago because the media was so one-dimensional um, in that regard. You know, one of the things I think about a lot there's this very famous incident back in the 80s when Isaiah Thomas got caught up in this controversy because Dennis Rodman said that Larry Bird was basically overrated because he's a white player. Uh, and Isaiah co-signed it. There's this whole controversy. And there was really nobody in the media at the time who could refute this dominant narrative that was trying to demonize Isaiah. And what Isaiah was basically saying, what Rodman said, but Isaiah was the one who took the blame for it was that, you know, the media, what he was talking about was the media and the way the media talked about Larry Bird. Wasn't about Larry Bird. Like, you know, it was about how the media talked about him. Well, to have that conversation, now there are going to be some black voices. In there. And you might not even agree with all the black voices, but it'll be a broader, more well-rounded uh, conversation. So I guess I say all that to say this is a different era in terms of the media. Um, there have been some instances when the media has been problematic. There's been other instances when maybe they shed some light on things in a way because of the people involved differently. Even with the writers across the board, there's maybe better understanding about some of these issues than what was the case in the past. Thank you for listening to A King's Reign. In the next episode, the Nerder She Wrote crew of Dave DeFore, Seth Partnow, and Mo DeKeel on how LeBron, the basketball player, has evolved over time. Rob Peterson is the editorial supervisor and creator of A King's Reign. Joe Varden is the consulting producer. Kent Garrison is the theme music composer. Reporting for the series was provided by the Athletic NBA staff. Andrew Schlecht is the host of the series. Matt Havia and Mike Smeltz are the executive producers.